we have a period of massive transformation upon us and coming, and you don't get these that often. Welcome to The Great Reset, a podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at how we can build a cleaner, fairer, smarter world after COVID-19. This week, a special episode from the Forum's Pioneers of Change Summit, where 2,000 leaders from government, business and civil society are discussing where humanity can and must make progress now. We're kind of the Victorians of the 21st century, building out all this infrastructure that enables us to be prosperous, sustainable and clean. Taking place from November the 16th to the 20th, the Pioneers of Change Summit is happening as news is full of optimistic reports about vaccines. If there's light at the end of the COVID tunnel, what needs to happen next to get economies back on their feet and to make the transformations needed to cope with future pandemics, to cope with climate change and to make the benefits of scientific advances available to all. We are seeing the other side of the river, but there is a lot of work that still needs to be done. It's still going to be a difficult journey but one of which we see the destination now. Subscribe to The Great Reset wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Robin Pomeroy, Digital Editor at the World Economic Forum, and with the taste of the Forum's Pioneers of Change Summit, this is The Great Reset. Take a deep breath and imagine life without COVID-19. Even without the pandemic, the world right now would be going through huge technological change with digital technologies transforming the way we work, play, produce, consume and communicate. The pandemic has disrupted, but also in many ways accelerated what we sometimes call the fourth industrial revolution. And that's what delegates at the Pioneers of Change Summit are discussing this week. You can get more on the summit at weform.org and across social media using the hashtag Pioneers of Change. This episode of The Great Reset will give you a flavour of the big conversations. First, striking a qualified note of optimism, Here's Christine Lagarde, former head of the International Monetary Fund and now governor of the European Central Bank. Let me just use a little image of where I think we are. We were standing on one side of a massive river of uncertainty and hardship, both from a health and economic point of view. And we couldn't even see the other side of the river. Now, thanks to the fantastic hard work put in by some companies in Germany, and uh, in the US and in various corners of the world, we are now seeing the other side of the river because we know that uh, vaccines uh, is on the horizon and, uh, and hopefully will be rolled out as early as uh, 2021 uh, first quarter. But to get to the other side of the river, not only do we need uh, the private sector innovation and, and good uh, partnership, we also need policymakers to do their bit. And we need that policy bridge to get across to the other side. When I look at the economy today, clearly we hope that it will be a crisis that doesn't last, but we know that the economic changes will be long lasting changes. If we get the policy mix right, hopefully we will protect the economy in the aggregate, but we will not prevent it from being transformed. And what we need to focus on, in my view, is that those transformations are not scars, but transformations for the better. It seems to me, given the very special aspect of this crisis in advanced economies in particular, that services are and will be harder hit than the industrial activity. And the way in which transformation will take place will be first and foremost through digitalization. 
that will have an impact in terms of how services are provided, where they are provided from. They will tend to be probably less local and more from anywhere to somewhere. And in the same vein, they will be uh, more uh, challenged from a competition point of view, which will probably bring about improved productivity. Now, where the private sector is critically important is how it will provide innovation, how it will transform but secure jobs and income for people. So let me turn to the first one, innovation. We just saw with uh, a couple of fantastic uh, innovators, notably in Germany, that there can be hope and another side to the river. Well, for that innovation to work, clearly we need to provide the appropriate business environment where innovation will thrive. I think policymakers are doing their best to remove the uncertainty, but it is a case that at the moment, the private sector has stopped, put on hold a lot of their research and development efforts. We're seeing that in the numbers, it's very clear. Hopefully the private sector will get back into the swing of things invest in research and development, because in Europe in particular, they provide about two thirds of research and development. So it's critically important that money be put back into research and development and that innovation continues to happen and continues to transform uh, the economic sectors that will be disrupted. The second area where the business has to do its bit, it's in the area of jobs, because there will be a lot of crushed dreams uh, of those young people who are joining the job market and who are finding nothing at the moment. So clearly the environment that will be conducive to young companies to actually employ will be vital because it is those young companies, those companies that are under five years of age that are providing the essential bulk of job growth. So from that perspective, if I could appeal to the private sector to actually continue to invest in research and development provide for the innovation that will mend those transformations so that they don't become scars and that they are open to those job seekers that are keen to join the job market, that are digitally literate, much more so than some of old folks like me, so that these dreams do not get crushed. You know, it happened in the past, and I will mention two occasions when it did happen. At the time of SARS, it precipitated an acceptance by uh, Asia-Pacific economies of digital uh, relationships, and it increased e-commerce massively. In the same way, after the financial crisis we had in 2008 and, and, and Sequitur, we saw an increase in what the World Economic Forum has actually celebrated, which is social entrepreneurship, which is impact financing. And in the same way, we have to get out of this crisis now with transformations that will be positive, that will be productive, and that will leave as few scars as possible going forward. And I think Europe has a card to play in that particular game. We are seeing the other side of the river, but there is a lot of work that still needs to be done. And there is a lot of uh, support that needs to be displayed and financing conditions that need to be kept as, as favorable and as conducive 
uh, to investment in, in research and development by firms, in financing by banks and, and non-banks. So everybody has to continue doing their part because it's, it's, it's still going to be a difficult journey but one of which we see the destination now. Christine Lagarde didn't mention the US election result and where that may lead us, but she had a few words to say about multilateralism. Clearly, the geopolitics of uh, multilateralism was not particularly uh, good in the last few years. My hope is that between the pandemic shock, the climate change threats and the most recent geopolitical changes taking place around the world, multilateralism will come back in a transformed and hopefully enhanced way because we have to deal with some of these issues on a multilateral basis. There's no point trying to kill a pandemic at home. There's no point trying to stop climate change in the domestic market. Those issues, as you very well know, and as the WEF has constantly advocated, are global issues that need to be dealt with on a cooperative manner. And I hope that the business and the private sector can actually head in that direction, set standards, move forward, and that uh, geopolitical games will, uh, will come along and will put public interest and common goods at the centre of uh, policies going forward. You're listening to The Great Reset. We'll be right back after this. I am here to say our house is on fire. We have now to be really aware of the dangers of what we're doing. We're reaching tipping points all around the world. We've heard the warnings. Now, what are we going to do about it? This is Thermopylae. This is Agincourt. This is the Battle of the Bulge. We have to rise to this occasion. Welcome to House on Fire, a new podcast from the World Economic Forum that dives deep into the biggest environmental stories on the planet. Each week, we aim to bring you closer to the changemakers working to save the world. The entrepreneurs disrupting what we eat. We have a product that meat eaters love, you know, and it's a multi-trillion dollar meat eater market. The scientists going the extra mile to save threatened species. We have to travel with an elephant to ward off tigers. The innovators shaking things up. Big companies just need to ask themselves, what's the bigger risk to fundamentally rethink their business model or to have it made irrelevant by people like us? And the campaigners who never give up. That's what my frustration is. I just, I don't see why we're not moving faster. We'll share big ideas. One trillion trees will sequester more than 200 gigatons of carbon. We have to get on this right now. Who's working on this? Visionary leadership. It's easy to say that you stand for something, but the public knows the difference between those who are serious and those who are not. And wisdom from across the world on the great challenge of our times. Human beings need to understand that we are part of the nature. We only one species of the nature. Join me. Kiara Kelly and me, James Bray, for the first episode of House on Fire, as we focus on the fight for biodiversity on our planet. The natural world is the source of all wonder. We are bound up together. House on Fire, coming November 17th. Welcome back to this special episode of The Great Reset, where we're listening in to the forum's Pioneers of Change Summit. 80% of the companies that we've surveyed in the last month are going to invest in digital transformation. As a major business services company, Accenture has gathered a lot of insights into the ways companies around the world are changing the way they operate. Chief Executive Julie Sweet shared some of that knowledge at the summit. 80%. Why is this significant? As we just heard, we have to transform. And so we are gonna have significant numbers of companies who have to transform. And the question is, will they do so? And can they do so 
for the benefit of all. That transformation is going to occur by partnering with other companies to do it at greater speed. And those will be large companies and small companies. 62%, that's the second number, is the percentage of C-suite executives who believe that as they transform, they need to have more responsible business as a part of what they do in three areas, sustainability, uh, in talent, uh, and in um, uh, meetings, essentially the UN SDG goals, including inclusion and diversity. And so you have 80% transforming, 62% believing that they need to have more responsible business practices. That's up from 50% of companies just a few months ago. So the trend line is this mentality of doing it for the benefit of all. And then the third, the, the number three, we did research going back to 2015, and we looked at companies who've already made the decision to be a leader in both financial and non-financial metrics, particularly uh, inclusion and diversity, sustainability, and reskilling. And there's only 3% of the companies who've chosen to do both. And over that period, they expanded their profit, while the rest of the companies who did not choose that path declined. That should give you a clear business case that what we need to do as the private sector, which is to use this opportunity for transformation to embed responsible business and that it can be done in a very profitable way, right, should give us great optimism. There are two things that we are seeing companies do now. So first is to think about this transformation by embedding responsible business. And so let me give you a very concrete example. Everyone talks about moving to the cloud. When you move to the cloud, you have a significant reduction in carbon emissions. And so those two goals can happen together. We are seeing companies now as they're doing digital transformation, working with us to reskill their people at a rate that was not occurring pre-COVID. Accenture Chief Executive, Julie Sweet. The SDGs that Julie Sweet referred to there are the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. That's a list of targets for the world to achieve on some of the biggest issues in the world by the end of this decade. C-suite executives are the people at the top of companies such as chief executive or chief operations officer whose titles tend to start with chief. You're listening to The Great Reset. We'll be right back after this. COVID pandemic has been really hard on cities. Up until now, about 95% of all the reported infections, virtually all the fatalities have occurred in cities. Welcome to World Versus Virus, a podcast from the World Economic Forum that aims to make sense of the COVID-19 outbreak. This week, has coronavirus killed the city? Many people have predicted the death of cities over many centuries. I do think the texture of cities will be permanently changed. The pandemic has caused people to snub or even flee cities in rich and poor parts of the world. And an opinion piece in the New York Post in August declared, New York City is dead forever. Two ex- Experts tell us what really is the future for our cities. The future is uncertain, it's bleak, it's volatile. There are a lot of question marks, but cities have virtually always bounced back from pandemics. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. From the World Economic Forum, I'm Robin Pomeroy, and this is World vs. Virus. And welcome back to this special episode of the Great Reset podcast, where we're listening in to highlights from the forum's Pioneers of Change Summit. We have a period of massive transformation upon us and coming. And you don't get these that often. Cameron Hepburn is Professor of Environmental Economics at the University of Oxford. If you're building a business today, 
it's never been as important to have a clear social purpose for what you're doing because you've got to be seeing the collective challenges and then working on a set of the pieces that will add up to a better society. If you're going to attract the kind of capital that you want, you're going to have the vision that will attract the sort of talent that you want to your business. So I, th I think this period of transformation, the Great Reset, it's also a great opportunity for, for innovation. And that leads me to the second point, which is that in, in terms of where uh, and how dynamics uh, shift, it does shift with re reference to the great human needs. As you look back hundreds of years or, or decades, you know, we're currently in a point where we know we've got to get to net zero emissions. We know that this is an investment opportunity of the scale of two trillion or more three trillion uh, dollars or euros every year. It's that kind of scale uh, of opportunity. So if you're innovating in those spaces, provided you're nimble and provided you're again seeing the bigger picture, but working on your what we call a sensitive intervention in the system, you can find these interventions that amplify the, the scale up. Uh, and that can deliver really valuable change of the kind that we need, given where we are now. And we've been tracking uh, at Oxford the ecosystem of, of new innovators, but also a set of 2,300 different fiscal stimulus policies of the kind uh, Christine was referring to, because these two go hand in hand. What you don't want to do is to embed incumbency. What you do want to do, as Christine noted, is to create new competitive opportunities but also opportunities which don't you know, uh, lead to gross inequality as well. And then the, the third point uh, I want to make around these dynamics of social change is that we often uh, have situations where society is locked in to particular technologies, whether it's the QWERTY keyboard that I have in front of me, which I'm sure you all know the story. You know, it's not there because it helps you type faster. Let's just put it that way. But, but when you have these disruptions, when the socio-technical landscape uh, is broken, you get opportunities for, for new ways of doing things, new business models, new financing models. I mean, look at the explosion of interest in ESG uh, measures over the course of the last year. It's been coming for a while, but I think COVID has just helped amplify interest in you know, how do we make sure that financial flows across the global economy are being directed to doing the right sort of thing. And Julie really made this point very powerfully that actually it's not just different modes of finance, different tech, it's not just quantum computing or, or solar getting cheaper or, or electrolysis getting cheaper. It's also different ways of working with each other. Julie pointed to open collaboration models and partnership models that have been so successful in pharma, but we're starting to see them being more successful across the board because once you get systems leaders, you know, the, the innovators, the pioneers listening into this discussion, if you're thinking about changing the system and you've got some sense of system leadership, then you want to be looking around the, the ecosystem, the industrial ecosystem, working out who you need to partner with and how and in what sort of flexible manner to move the whole system along in your own private interest, but also in the social interest. At the end of the day, if you're not generating big, social benefits and you're not solving a big social problem, then your kind of private license to make a lot of money isn't, isn't really so robust. ESG mentioned there is a measure of a company's performance on environmental, social and governance issues. And electrolysis is the process of splitting water molecules to produce hydrogen, which can be used as a clean fuel, but traditionally it's taken so much energy to do that it's just not been worth it. 
Professor Hepburn talked more about that when asked what he sees as the most important technological innovations on the horizon that will really change the world. We're seeing extraordinary innovation in the energy system right now across the board. Uh, big innovation in the quantum uh, domain to a number of large, uh, sorry, uh, well, big ideas, small companies, big ideas in quantum. In my personal sphere of interest, greenhouse gas removal ideas are coming at me thick and fast. There's one every week or so, how we can strip CO2 out of the atmosphere at low cost. Um, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to rely on that to, to do this transformation. And of course, the food system is just undergoing radical change. We talk about a decade's change in a year. Uh, equally, some of the big food companies are seeing that consumer preferences around food are shifting five times faster than, than previous trends. But, but if you force me to name one, I guess I'd say the thing I'm most excited about are the precipitous falls in the cost of electrolysis right now, because getting what is increasingly cheaper and cheaper solar and wind into molecular form, whether it's hydrogen or ammonia, is kind of the, the, the missing piece of a completely clean and cheap energy landscape that then gives the whole global economy a boost in the second half of this century. So that, so that we're kind of the Victorians of the 21st century, building out all this infrastructure that enables us to be prosperous, sustainable, uh, and clean with the SDGs met for the second half of the century. So that's, that's where we need to get to. And, and Christine's made the point that we know where, where, where we're going over the other side of the river. We just need to build this bridge to get us there. Professor Cameron Hepburn. You can find much more about the Pioneers of Change Summit at weform.org and across social media using the hashtag Pioneers of Change. You can find all our podcasts at wf.ch slash podcasts. And if you really love podcasts of any kind and want to get or share recommendations for the best ones, please join the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. We've just launched it. Search for it on Facebook. Please subscribe to receive this podcast every week and leave us a rating or review. Thanks to Kerry Parker and Gareth Noel for help making this week's podcast. Thanks to you for listening. For now, from me, Robin Pomeroy at the World Economic Forum, goodbye. <laughs>